it is interesting because I've been hearing um, the other side of this that that this virus Omicron is actually causing such low severity in um, healthy adults that some people say, well, this is a perfect life attenuated virus and therefore it would be a good thing to have many people being infected with the virus because now you're going to have natural immunity that is a little broader than the spike protein only and you would have a broader t-cell repertoire that could you know protect you against future variant viruses i wouldn't say hey let's get everybody infected no i would say make sure that the people who are immunocompromised know that they are in the risk groups and that they should continue to be cautious but younger people that that are um you know that, that are going to be able to deal with this pretty well just have them go out and let them indeed get exposed welcome to the next episode of our podcast series on the COVID 19 pandemic we will discuss Omicron, what it means for the state of the pandemic, the future of vaccines, and how to balance mitigation measures with what our society can still tolerate. I am Marsa Haverkamp, Senior Director in the Healthcare Industry Group of Alvarez & Marsal, and I am delighted that you have joined us for this special podcast featuring two international COVID-19 experts, Manon Cox and Ab Osterhaus. Professor Osterhaus is a world-renowned Dutch virologist, now with his lab at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Hanover, Germany. His research group discovered many viruses, among others the human metapneumovirus, and Op was the first in 2003 to irrefutably prove that SARS was caused by a coronavirus. He has authored more than 1,300 peer-reviewed papers, but also started several companies, two of them being zeros, and the other developing treatment and vaccines against metapneumovirus. Monon Cox is CEO and co-founder of NextWave Bio. She started that company in 2018 and helps biopharma companies in drug development and manufacturing. Before, Manon was president of Protein Sciences, leading the development of an influenza vaccine, Flubox, that uh, received FDA approval in 2013. The company was acquired by Sanofi years later. Manon has a PhD from Wageningen in the Netherlands and holds an MBA from Nijerode Business School. I am very curious, Op, how for you the arrival of Omicron changed your perspective on the pandemic. And the animal models with the reduced inflammation in the lung and less severity. Do you feel optimistic about what is to come? Well, I'm, I'm rather skeptical at the moment. So basically we got this new variant some time ago. And so we, we are running through the whole alphabet. Yeah? So we had the alpha, beta, gamma, delta, et cetera. Now we have arrived at the Omicron. And it is it has become a variant of concern. Uh, really the, also WHO is very concerned about it. And as a matter of fact, the uh, the spreading of that particular virus was was really much faster than we have seen for uh, with the, with the previous variants, like the Delta variant, which is the last one. And the idea was therefore also that it was going to take over from the Delta variant, which has happened in many countries in the meantime. This this was the bad news. So the virus is really spreading very fast. And the good news is that um, we, what we are seeing today is that the disease severity that's associated with the infection for several reasons seems to be much lower or at least lower 
than what we than what we see in um, in the previous variants of concern. The uh, the only problem is that um, that when we when we look at the overall picture, obviously more and more people get infected, and especially people with pre-existing conditions and, and elderly people, like people with diabetes, people with heart tra uh, uh, transplants, etc. These people they they do get sick, and now now when the, whilst the virus is uh, is spreading so fast, we see that in these, if they come all within, let's say, a couple of weeks instead of a couple of months, then the, uh, then the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed or the whole, whole, the whole, the whole system of, uh, from, from GPs all the way to intensive care. So that's what we are afraid of at the moment. So I'm not very optimistic. As long as we do not have a vaccine that is adapted to the new Omicron variant, I think it's, it's kind of... Uh, it's, it's kind of tricky and because the protection that's being provided by the, the vaccines that we're using today is, is, is not long lasting and not very solid. And in fact, what you're saying is that a, a big group of immunocompromised and that, of course, also in the U.S., that was seven million, yeah. I think, people uh, yeah. uh, who do not have a strong immune system, that that is the main group that should be worried now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. We 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 see a lot of breakthroughs at the moment. So people people who really get sick, and the, the big problem there is also that when you look at the, the the personnel in the in the hospitals, yeah, who have to really have to attend the people coming to the hospital, we see a lot of infections there as well, which which really reduces the hospital capacity again. So, do you think that the fact that this variant spreads easier but is less serious? Does that predict anything about next variants that are coming up? What's odds that something comes up that spreads easier, but that is even worse than Delta? Well, everything is possible, obviously, and it really also has to do with the evasion of the uh, of the immune system. We know that phenomenon from influenza viruses, and of course, you get a certain level of herd immunity based on T cell responses mainly. But sometimes you get variants, like we had in 2018 influenza variants that that really are much more severe than previous ones so there is a tendency uh, to that that it becomes milder but but that's 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 not that's not a, a safe thing to assume you know, so it might well be that you get new variants as well that will pop up and and cause more disease and even go faster uh, in the population yeah yeah influenza that's also your area Manon. Uh, what, what do you think it is interesting because I've been hearing um, the other side of this, that, that this virus, Omicron, is actually causing such low severity in um, healthy adults that some people say, well, this is a perfect life attenuated virus. And therefore, it would be a good thing to have many people being infected with the virus because now you're going to have natural immunity that is a little broader than the spike protein only. And you would have a broader T-cell repertoire that could, you know, protect you against future variant viruses. And I was reading an opinion ad um, in Australia by Gary Groman, who used to be the vaccine, you know, reviewer at TGA, the Australian FDA. And he basically states the best protection is there for people who have been vaccinated and then had a breakthrough infection with Omicron, not with Delta, but with Omicron, because there's apparently lab data that shows that if you look at the immune response in those individuals, they are very, that appears to be extraordinarily broad from that they are broadly protective against all the previous 
uh, variant. And I was wondering of whether you've already seen that. Well, well, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. That's, it's an opinion you hear much more, more often. It could well be that indeed the, this virus, this, this mitigated virus, so to say, creates a certain level of herd immunity. But that's not the whole story. And I, I fully agree with you that the T-cell response against the other proteins of the virus is, it can be quite important. But there's also a genetic factor there. And we have, we have also seen uh, susceptibility genes in the, main, in the meantime. So some people don't get sick at all, whereas others get very, get very ill. So there is the whole range there. And so what you, what you really have to consider that undoubtedly everyone in the world will be infected by SARS-CoV-2. And if that is a mild variant, you're happy. But there is always a, a segment in the population, in, in our population, that's about, that's about 10 to 20 percent who are immunocompromised. And in those individuals, really, even, even this more wimpy virus so, so can, be, can cause quite severe symptoms. And if you, for the, for the time being, if you get it in a very short period of time, you get so many infections due to the more rapid spread. Yeah, of a more more attenuated virus, then still you you enter into a into a situation where where hospitals and the healthcare system cannot cope any longer. So, so just to recapitulate for the listeners, uh, yeah. what you say, Manon, is in fact we should take advantage of this current situation where Omicron seems to be less severe. Why not get everyone infected so we all mount at least some immune response that will help us later? Now it's less dangerous to get COVID. But then you say up that is fine, but there there are so many people that are immunocompromised. All these people will overwhelm hospitals if they get infected right away. Because in fact with the flu, that's always been the case, right? And vulnerable people have always been at risk for severe disease and hospitalization and death. It's a very similar situation. Yeah? And flu, yeah. has, we have herd immunity against flu and because we have this T-cell response against the internal proteins. But still, still, when we get a serious flu, uh, a seasonal flu outbreak, there's a lot of people who go to hospital and, and who die. And they're mainly in the risk group, not all of them, because there are some people with a, with a higher genetic susceptibility for whatsoever reason. Yeah, so it's on the one hand, it's the, the immunocompromised, and on the other hand, it's the people who are more susceptible. And then again, at the end of the day, I agree with Manon that this virus will basically infect the whole world, you know, every person in the world. But that does not mean that all, all these people are immune to the infection, because if it would be like, for instance, a systemic infection like measles, then you have a completely different situation. You get much better protection for life even. But with the respiratory viruses, be it influenza, be it RSV, uh, you get a very temporary temporary protection. And that's what we are seeing quite clearly now also with the, the different variants of the SARS-CoV-2. We see that after three, four months, the current vaccine does not protect against Omicron. Uh, so, so basically people vaccinated, but most of the people who are vaccinated, they have been vaccinated more than six months ago. And these people, they, well, they get perhaps not a full-blown disease, but they get a lot of disease, plus the virus spreads like hell. Doesn't all this point towards we need to really better educate and better communicate about this virus, right? Because if I totally agree that you need to protect the people that are vulnerable, but we will only reach broad um, immunity within the population, broader immunity in the population, if there has been exposure. And that is really, I 
wouldn't say, hey, let's get everybody infected. No, I would say make sure that the people who are immunocompromised know that they are in the risk groups and that they should continue to be cautious. But younger people that, that are, um, you know, that, that are going to be able to deal with this pretty well, just have them go out and let them indeed get exposed. And, and again, only time will tell, right? Here in the United States, we see stadiums full of people and you can be assured that there's going to be super spreaders amongst those people that are in those stadiums. And so we're going to see what, what will happen, how this will, how this will pan out. But if well, you were I, the president, you wouldn't have installed a lockdown in the US as we have, as the Netherlands has done. If I was the president, I would have definitely not done that. I think it's a wrong decision. And I know that I'm very much um, in disagreement with up there who has continuously talked about strong lockdowns. I, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. Up, what do you think? Yeah, I profoundly disagree, obviously. Uh, so I think, I think indeed, if you, for instance, the whole issue about the children, in, in the Netherlands, yeah, so they, they, you have this argument now, the virus is circulating am, amongst the children. And because it's so mild in children, if you see how many children get severely ill, how many children die, it's much more than in flu, it's three times as many at the moment. So I think you have to be very careful there. I think what, what you are saying is, is, is that sounds very nice, but, but if you look how many people, in spite of the vaccines being there, die every every year still from flu, and COVID is much more severe. So until we have reached the situation with flu, and we are not there at this stage for sure, and it may take one, two, three, we don't know even how many years before we are there, we have to be very cautious. Did you are in agreement on vaccinations, vaccination mandates, for example, in domestic flights in the US? What's your idea there? It should be a free choice. I mean, having access to vaccines is a right. And I, I definitely think that if people would realize that the disease COVID in and of itself is much worse than the risk of uh, vaccination, at this, that is the way it looks at this moment in time. And that's probably even true for Omicron. But I do know people that were not vaccinated that got COVID and they were in far you know, severe states than people that were vaccinated. So when I talk about breakthrough and opening up, that has to do, you need to see that in combination with the large proportion of the population that has already been vaccinated. Yeah, so I think, I think basically, I, I would agree to a certain extent that, that vaccination can get us out of this and, 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 and basically communication, telling the people what's, what's going on. But this is extremely difficult to do that. If we, if we were in a similar situation with flu, where we have a mismatch of the vaccine, we know that the vaccine, vaccine protection goes, goes down from 60, 70% to only 10, 20% and even being absent. And we are in that situation with the Omicron at the moment. Everyone should be free to be vaccinated, yes or no. Yeah, it's your own free choice. But to have the freedom to go into a stadium, to go into an aeroplane, all these kinds of things, that can be, that can be restricted. And that's, that's that's all in the game. And I think we should not allow people who have not been vaccinated, we should not allow them in restaurants, in places where a lot of people get together. And still people can refuse to be vaccinated. So there is an in an indirect an indirect obligation to get vaccinated. But if you if you if you don't want to be vaccinated, well it's not that bad not to go on a plane or not to go to a restaurant. It's it's fine. And at the moment, it's, it's like that in Europe. If you take a flight wherever you go, it's even if you've not been vaccinated, you get, don't get on the flight. 
worries me a lot is that um, in the United States, actually people that have had a natural infection are not being recognized as, as also being immune, right? So it, it would probably be good because there are, you know, if you, if you, personally, my situation is I had two Pfizer vaccines. I got, a, you know, a breakthrough infection because indeed the vaccines are not as good as we would like them to be. So, but that, that breakthrough infection does not count as a booster. And I'm thinking, I know that I'm better protected than just getting that booster, but I'm basically being forced to take the booster because it is not being recognized as a, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a superior vaccine, my breakthrough infection. Just, just realize what would have happened to you if you would not have been vaccinated. That might be, have been a very severe situation. Yeah, so, so it's very difficult, and I agree with you that infection, as such, yeah, might be might be considered, yeah, as and that's what 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 we have in 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 most European countries that the infection is just as much as just counts just as much as a vaccination. Yeah, so you mean infection as a booster, but you do still need a booster, no, to be fully vaccinated. That, that's, that's correct, but it, it only lasts for three, four months, which again is very similar to what you see in influenza. Now, if you look at, especially if you look in elderly people, well, one of the big problems is many people have themselves vaccinated in September. Yeah, and then if, if, if the flu hits in, in April, they are not protected anymore. So it's a very similar situation that we're going into. So what do you think? Will there be fourth dose and then a fifth dose and then... I think it's difficult to predict what's happening because because coronavirus they do, do mutate very very fast and and so so basically I would not be surprised that if, at, at the end of the story it will be that we get a combi vaccine where we have the flu strains present we have RSV you know, and then we also have COVID you know, and that you get you get a cocktail there yeah one go a cocktail for the for the winter respiratory disease for the risk groups at the end of the day. And so I think that's what you're going to see at the end of the day. It will mitigate because there is enough immunity in the population. And then, then that's where we're going to end. With flu, we are not even there because we get pandemic after pandemic. Every 20, 30 years, we have a pandemic. Yeah, so researchers worked on mRNA vaccines for years. But then why did they never work before? There was quite a lot of work done. And they just never cut it. They never were as good as the vaccines that were already available for influenza to protect you from influenza. We really don't know. I think the reactogenicity of the mRNA vaccines is just very high. And, and I would prefer to have a vaccine that, that has lesser reactogenicity. You mean that side effects when you just get the vaccine? So yeah, then long term, we really don't know too much about this. I mean, I know that, that you're interested in what is the long term, but the long term will only know two to five years from now by looking at, at you know, at big population data. And we will never know for sure because there are no good controlled clinical studies being done. Do you think that there are lessons that we have or positive things that we can learn or that we did learn from this pandemic that we can bring forward? The good news is that we have learned and that we have seen that we can have vaccines that are can be deployed and developed very rapidly. That was great. That's a very positive message. And that we have also learned that we did not do a good job 
uh, in terms of, uh, of of producing antivirals, yeah, which could have been done and we should do immediately now against all the big virus groups, yeah, like the, like the coronavirus, the influenza viruses, the paramyxoviruses. We should just develop these things in, in peacetime. Do, do you believe in the Paxlovid, the Pfizer? Um, it seems to be so ideal, right? And indeed, if you take it in the right uh, right time frame in the beginning, and then there's almost no <clears> side <throat> effects, and it, it's so effective. What do you th how do you think it will play out in the real world? Well, I think the first data are a bit too optimistic. But if only it's 50% of what it promises in the clinical trial, then then still it's good enough. So yeah. it's again like with the anti-flu drugs. If you if you don't give it within 48 hours, virtually all the benefit is gone. So what you need to do is to have a good setup, and it's the same is true for the monoclonal antibodies. The GSK monoclonal still works, yeah. So so against the Omicron, if you give it within 24 hours after diagnosis, you get you get let's say 70, 80 percent uh, reduction of hospitalization, and if you use that in in high risk people, so and with the Paxlovid is the same. But if you give it in the hospital when people are already hospitalized. Yeah, that's what they're doing with the monoclonal antibodies. Your effect is less than 2%. We know that. And so really how to set up these kind of things and how to implement it. And then, of course, yeah. So so I think I think it can be a game changer. Hmm. Well, thanks so much, um, both Ab and Manon. Um, we're uh, at the top of the hour. Um, I feel we, we touched a, a good balance of, on the one hand, uh, signaling the the more endemic uh, aspects of the pandemic currently, uh, but, but on one end, but on the other hand, also the cautious measures we have to take. Thank you to our audience for joining us uh, for this podcast today. Uh, Manon and Ab, we'd like to thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with our listening audience. To listen to our other podcasts, please visit us at alvarezandmarsal.com. Thank you again and talk more soon.